This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Dana-Farber scientists laid the foundation for CDK4-6 inhibitors, new drugs that are increasing the survival rate for many advanced breast cancers. Learn more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. You're listening to Rough Translation from NPR. So watching the news out of Ukraine this week, which I've been obsessively doing, I know that many of you are as well, it's a fast-moving, terrible story that our NPR colleagues are covering on the ground. I'll just say that as someone who has lived in Ukraine and covered it as a reporter, and as someone who's just interested in what happens there on a normal day, I would never in a million years have imagined that people around the world would be quoting a president of Ukraine, you know, sharing his one-liners. And it's a performance that has captured world attention, mobilized international support, and maybe whatever happens next in this war will permanently change how people see this act of Russian aggression. So it got me thinking about Zelensky's past as a performer in a very different sense. His former career as an improv comedian and actor. He was a legend on the competitive comedy circuit. And though it might not seem at all the time to talk about Zelensky, the stand-up comic, when he's standing up for his life and his country, I'd say that to understand one, it really helps to understand the other. So recently I rewatched the sitcom without which there would be no President Zelensky. This is the theme song. It's called Servant of the People, Sluga Narodu, from 2015. And forgive me if you know this part of the story, but in the sitcom, Zelensky plays a precariously employed high school history teacher who one day explodes to another teacher over thieving politicians in a curse-filled rant. What he does not know is that one of his students is secretly filming him through the classroom window. That video goes viral. The schoolteacher is fired. But just before he's given the axe, he confronts the student who filmed him. With a parable from Imperial Japan about a peasant who dared to curse out the Japanese emperor over his crushing tax policy. The emperor responds with two orders. First, to tear out the tongue of the peasant, because cursing is a sin. And second, to lower the taxes. Because... The truth is the truth, no matter how unpleasant. Earnest Rage, with a jaunty soundtrack, that was Zelensky's bit. Brutal truths with a punchline. And then what happens next in the sitcom is that this schoolteacher is elected as a write-in candidate for president in a country desperate for change, In real life, when the actor, Zelensky, was elected to the presidency, some voters still confused him with his fictional persona. But watching President Zelensky this past week, 
facing down a Russian invasion, playing the role of his life in a role he did not choose or want. It feels like he has done something that no one predicted. He seemed to flip the script on the role that Putin had cast for him. And what I've been thinking about is how Zelensky's experience writing zingers for the stage, learning how to read an audience, prepared him for this moment. Hi. Hi, Sasha. Sasha Serduk is an actor and comedian who I met on my last trip to Ukraine in 2019. Okay. And I'm so sorry to talk again um, under these circumstances. Oh, no. Yes, yes. But, okay. When I reached him by phone this week, he was in the west of Ukraine, trying to get his mother out of the eastern city of Kharkiv, which was under heavy shelling. Despite all these ordeals, he sounded optimistic. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, big, big optimism. It's first time. Big, uh, uh, all, all Ukrainians right now for the first time since the fall of the Soviet Union, he'd never seen Ukraine so unified. Yes. Now, Sasha performed on some of the same stages that Zelensky once did. They both played in comedy competitions. Up until a week ago, though, that is, up until the Russian invasion, many, including Sasha, saw Zelensky's presidency as lightweight, his performance stale and unconvincing. He do like uh, all presidents in the world. He would stand against the backdrop of the flag. It is a flag, national in his fancy suit. And talk like president. Hello, Ukrainians. It's been hard time, blah, blah, blah. But then the invasion came. Zelensky shed the suit as if he'd been waiting to all along. And right now he do like, uh, like uh, people, two people. In his public appearances now, Zelensky often wears a T-shirt, sometimes draped with a simple jacket. Like, in this selfie video he posted a couple days back. Where he says, our weapon is our truth. He talked uh, uh, in, a, in a people language. To Sasha, he seems more now like the frank and resolute schoolteacher character that people voted for than at any other time in his term of office. He's a good president. He's a very good president. Yes. This is Rough Translation. I'm Gregory Warner. To understand a president, it helps to know what shaped them. Vladimir Putin was an agent for the KGB. He joined at 23. President Zelensky got his early training in an institution that was no less Soviet, the particular world of competitive comedy, where Zelensky first won the attention and applause of Ukrainians. Long before his role in the sitcom that got him elected, competitive comedy is where Zelensky learned to improv, engage a crowd, a couple years ago, we dived into that world on Rough Translation with a story on what was then the front lines of Ukraine's war with Russia. I thought the stakes were high then. They are so much higher now. And listening back, I hear new things in this story that I didn't hear the first time around. And so what we're going to do today is just play an excerpt from that episode. And then we're going to hear how Sasha and other Ukrainian comics are using those tools of comedy to fight back in this war. When Rough Translation returns. (laughs) 
This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. The Capital One Venture X business card has no preset spending limit, so the card's purchasing power can adapt to meet business needs. Plus, the card earns unlimited double miles on every purchase, so the more a business spends, the more miles earned. And when traveling, the Venture X business card grants access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X business card, what's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash VentureXBusiness. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Gregory, host of Rough Translation. Here's a quick request that has nothing to do with Ukraine and everything to do with where you likely spend most of your waking hours. We want your stories of workplace culture. Workplace etiquette, expectations, from emojis to meetings to many unspoken rules of the workplace that you're still figuring out. Who is your work self and has that changed? Send us an email or a voice memo to roughtranslation at npr.org. We might feature your story in an upcoming episode. And thanks. Now back to the show. We are back with Rough Translation of Gregory Warner. So as I mentioned, we're going to play this episode from 2019. And just to set this up, Kramatorsk is an industrial city in eastern Ukraine, very far east. In fact, when the Russian invasion began, this was one of the points of entry for Russian forces. Back then, though, it was maybe 40 miles from the front lines. I was there to watch the regional semifinals for the League of Laughter, a comedy competition founded by Zelensky before he was president. And the winner of this battle would represent the entire eastern region of Ukraine. This is the part that shares the long border with Russia. Six teams were in the semifinal. Only four would survive this round of competition. But I ended up just focusing on two of the teams. One was an all-women's team who would come here all the way from the capital. We'll meet them in a moment. And then the other was coached by Sasha Serduk, who you heard at the top of the show. It was a team from the eastern port city of Mariupol, which at the time in 2019, even though there was not yet a war there, there was a lot of economic pressure from Russia, cutting off industries. So many young people were already leaving the city to find work. It was not an easy place from which to launch a comedy career. They needed this win. Yes, of course. <laughs> 25-year-old Alex Bobkov and 29-year-old Vova Sivek and their teammates were representing Mariupol. Yes, of course. Mariupol is capital of great Ukraine. What do you say, Mariupol? Mariupol is our own city. Alex taps his chest, the universal symbol, represent. One more time. To make it to the next round, what they have to do is write a sketch on the theme of a foreign country. Every team has a different country assigned to them. And maybe because this team is sort of the local favorite, 
they've been given what seems like the easiest country in this part of the world to make fun of, one that Ukrainian comics have been honing jokes about for 80 years, the USA. Now's their chance to test their material on two famous comedians, celebrity comics brought in at great expense from the capital. Don't think Simon Cowell, they're not just here to criticize, they're supposed to help the teams improve. Their sketch, I'm trying to follow it, it's like every American action film cultural stereotype mashed together. You have aliens in cornfields, the Statue of Liberty getting blown up, and John Travolta. After it's done, the celebrity comics seem underwhelmed. One says, the sketch, it's still uncooked. You have to fill it up with jokes. Watching every sketch, I can confidently say that this theme of foreign countries, it feels like a trap, especially in a part of the world where ethnic stereotypes are the default. Try to guess this team's country. James Bond. Yes, it is England. Here's another skit about Japan. I'm not even going to talk about the team that has Africa, all of Africa. But then I watch a team that seems to have figured out a way around this trap. They're called La Planeta, an all-women's team, and their theme is Spain. But they're using that as a foil to joke about life closer to home. Here's an example. Vika Pitorna is playing a woman from the 17th quarter, the local skid row. And she gets magically transported to a city in Spain. And she has no idea where she is. So she's walking down the street and she sees a guy. Hey, look at that guy. He doesn't have a black eye. He doesn't have peregar, which is a word that means the gasoline breath of a person the day after a drinking binge. I don't think that word exists in English. Later, she starts rapping about all the knockoff brands she's wearing, like Louis Vuitton. I got shoes in the style of Dolce Gabbana. The heel fell off. It was fixed by my mama. All these threads, thanks to the Zhitomirskaya fabric factory. This factory reference, it's strategic, aimed at the local audience. But this team, they are not local. Not at all. They're college students from the capital, Kiev. They took the train 400 miles out here to this regional competition. Almost feels to me like major leaguers showing up at a minor league game for the easy win. But then I talked to one of the celebrity comics, Sergei Bibilov. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about the Kiev women team. What are their strengths? What are their? What do they need to work on? He is on? not so sure about this team's chances. He explains that women's humor is very specific to women. He says he's not a sexist. It's just that women's humor is harder for the audience to accept. So his advice to the team has been to write humor that's interesting for men too. Here's where we were on day one of the competition. I'd met two teams, both underdogs in their own way. The Mariupol team, the local favorites, who just couldn't come up with enough good jokes about the U.S. And then the Kiev team, interlopers from the city, young and sharper-edged, who might simply be the wrong gender for this crowd. The teams head back to their rooms to practice. The other celebrity comic, Ilya Dermenji, says... 
humor is going to be born tonight. And it's possible some of these teams are not going to sleep. The idea of representing your region through competitive comedy actually has a long history in this part of the world. One of the experts on that history Alexei? is Alexei Semenenko. Hi. He's a professor at Stockholm University in Sweden. He's a self-described international humor researcher, which means he's often in the regrettable position of having to explain to one country what another country finds funny. Sometimes they are understandable, but this is the, the pain of the research. And then you just try to explain, this is the context here, this is that context that they refer to. <laughs> and, and then it, nobody's you know, laughing at that point. You, yeah, nobody's laughing because, you know, this is the worst thing that you can have to the joke when you, you, you have to explain it. I feel like so, I'm going to face that in doing this story, I'm afraid. But uh, thank you for the, for the words of encouragement. Yeah, exactly. The origin of competitive comedy in the Soviet world was a game called KVN, or Keva-N in Russian. It stands for the Club of Inventive and Funny People. It was launched by student actors in Moscow in the 1960s, shut down by Soviet authorities in the 70s, then reborn in the 80s during perestroika as must-see TV. Especially in the 80s, that was the place to find the most up-to-date jokes where people were experimenting and, you know, pushing boundaries. Through the 90s, after the Soviet Union had collapsed and former republics became independent countries, those countries still sent teams to Moscow for the Kevin finals. And people rooted for their team. For example, this is the finals of 1997. Who is on stage for Ukraine? It is the future president, Volodymyr Zelensky, then a 19-year-old college student from a small industrial town in eastern Ukraine. And when Zelensky's team wins, Ukraine celebrates. It is a win for the country. The contestants I meet at this comedy competition in Ukraine, they all talk about comedy as a team sport. A contestant here named David Omovchenko told me this story, and I heard versions of this story again and again. Growing up, he kind of thought of himself as funny, but then at age 14, he was tapped by a high school team. Suddenly he was traveling to competitions and imagined himself on Russian TV. All these dreams of young Ukrainians participating in this vast game ended abruptly in 2014. Keva N was pulled off the Ukrainian airwaves, and Ukraine stopped sending teams to Moscow. Zelensky, who by then had his own entertainment company in Ukraine, rushed in to fill the gap. He started the Liga Smecha, the League of Laughter, the Ukrainian version of Keva N. Last year, his channel launched a women's-only event showcasing women comedians. How long have you been doing... Um, no, yeah, three years. Vika on the Kiev women's team, she remembers that women's only show. She says she realized a girl can be funny when she's not afraid and feeling comfortable on the stage. So different than her experience of being on co-ed teams, where the guys muscle in with their... One thing she says she loves about comedy in Ukraine is what makes it different than so many other industries here. You cannot bribe your way to the top. 
You're funny or you're not. She says the people voted for Zelensky not because they liked him so much, but because they could see he was working hard. He earned their respect by being such a professional. And that's what she sees comedy as for her, a platform to prove herself. She kept saying, you can set yourself free. You can start something new, a show, a startup, something not even related to humor, something of her own. But that means she's got to leave this town with a win. A little bit later, all the teams gather to hear a pep talk from the sponsor of the league, a Ukrainian guy named Enrique Menendez. That's not a joke. My grandfather was born in the capital of Spain. The story is that Enrique's Spanish grandfather fought on the communist side of the Spanish Civil War and then ended up in the Soviet Union. So that's why I have such strange for Ukrainian name, Enrique Menendez. Enrique is a writer. He runs a think tank. And he's got his own reasons for funding this comedy league. I've met Enrique before on previous reporting trips to Ukraine because he's an outspoken advocate for this eastern region that we're in the part of Ukraine closest to the Russian border called Donbass. We see on our TVs only the war in Donbass, only the problems, catastrophe. Enrique is sensitive to how his region is perceived and how the views of people here can be dismissed. For instance, a lot of people here feel that Ukraine should negotiate more with Russia. That can be seen as... Treason. Yeah, it's betrayal of national interest. There's also a language divide. People here in the East speak Russian as their first language, not Ukrainian. But there have been a lot of new laws that make Ukrainian the sole language of schools and government offices. With all these divides in the country, Enrique has a lot of hopes for what sketch comedy might achieve. In his pep talk to the teams, he tells them, all of you have the talent to one day be on TV. And then he says, our job here is to show that the Donbass region is not just alcoholics, machine guns, marginals, and the 17th quarter. We must show all of Ukraine, he tells them, that the people of Donbass are young, normal, and talented. Here was the sponsor of the league telling the team to showcase their talents so that his region will be respected in all of Ukraine. That may be a good pep talk for a sports team, but this is comedy. This is not a game of looking proud or dignified. Just before the show, I catch up with Alex of the Mariupol team. One minute, one minute, because we need to change again. Okay. And make it. Where, where are you at right now? You have... Three hours into the performance, what, how do you feel? Now a little bit nervous because we must make a lot of things to make it good. We have a lot of changes, he says, a lot of things to think about. When I talk to Alex and his teammates about the city that they say they want to represent, (laughs) what do you want to show about Mariupol? The answers they give me, they're oddly bland. Vova, who's done years on the comedy circuit, tells me We want to show our little town in the best possible light, as happy and cool. There's been a lot of changes in our region, but we have good people. When they talk about their hometown, they sound less like comedians, more like politicians. While the women's team from Kyiv They're embracing the very stereotypes that Enrique warned them against. 
They play alcoholics and outcasts from the 17th quarter, that local bad neighborhood here in Kramatorsk. And what really makes the women's team so much more edgy for this audience is that Vika, on stage, is speaking not Russian, not Ukrainian, but a kind of Spanglish mashup of the two, called Surzik. It's a terrible mixture of Russian and Ukrainian. Educated Ukrainians, like Enrique, hate Surzik. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's terrible. To him, it's the sound of Russian speakers forced to speak the national language and mangling it. It's the sound of being a second-class citizen in your own country. For Vika... It's my soul, yeah. I like, yeah. Why? It's, um, I like Surzik, I like uh, uh, on the stage... Uh, Vika, by the way, speaks fluent Russian and Ukrainian. She only speaks Surzik in the show because it's shocking and a little taboo to hear someone speaking Surzik on stage. It's a good way to make people laugh. She talks Surzik, oh my God. I asked Alexei, the humor researcher, how did Zelensky do it? How did he walk this line of making fun of Ukraine, where he's from, but at the same time representing Ukraine on the international stage? Yeah, I mean, they didn't represent, this is probably not the word, but that they exploit this identity. He exploited stereotypes of eastern Ukraine, made them funny for the rest of the world. But that was not the problem at that time, you know, in the 90s. That became a political question uh, now, I mean, since 2014, of course. Since 2014, meaning since the war with Russia. It's harder to make fun of yourself when the other side is using those same stereotypes against you. So, showtime, Sunday evening. Six teams are competing. Only four will advance to the final round. Vika will tell me later, we had them at Ola. All the jokes find their landing. The women get a perfect score, tied for first place with the team that has Africa. And then the other four teams battle it out in a lightning improv round. The game is to fill in the first part of a sentence. The second part of the sentence, it's a little bit Soviet, is that's why there is no heat. The teams all huddle. And then Mariupol team comes forward. The Mariupol team makes a joke about the local mayor filling up his bathtub with the hot stuff, which could mean moonshine or hot water. And that's why there is no heat. The crowd loves it. They make it to the next round. Maybe because in this round, they finally poked fun at their own lives. And afterward, but why so sad? You guys don't look happy. You just won. Because after 25, 29 days, it's final, and we must make it again. The final is five weeks away. All the guys are headed back to their jobs. Alex is getting on a plane home to Turkey. But he'll be back in Ukraine for the final, when Rough Translation returns. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. 
And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXLLearning.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Bluehost, introducing Wondersuite. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few questions and get a unique, customizable WordPress website or store right away. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Dune Part 2 is here. It's the biggest movie of the year so far. Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya bring their star power and two sets of really impressive cheekbones to this epic space opera, which might even improve on the book it's based on. We'll talk all about it. Listen to NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast. We are back with NPR's Rough Translation. I'm Gregory Warner. And we're going to finish up the last part of our episode from 2019 about a regional comedy competition in eastern Ukraine. The finals took place in the city of Mariupol, the city that Sasha's team is from. Four teams battled it out to represent the eastern region in the national final. The winner was Mariupol. Hello? Ah, Sasha, you have a few... So I called up Sasha Serdyuk, the coach of the Mariupol team. So what happened? So, uh... Did the team do something different, a new strategy? So he said, everything started as before with a sketch, and there was one team that was clearly the best, and it was not Mariupol. It was La Planeta, the women's team from Kiev. The Mariupol team watched their sketch, they saw how well it was going over, and they huddled nervously backstage. We are in trouble, someone said. Just do the routine, said another. And Sasha told them, I, I told him, no, no, no. We are going to go out there, we're going to make people laugh, and we're going to do it without relentlessly poking fun at Ukraine's problems. No stereotypes, please. No, no, no. Come on. Let's, let's do it sarcasm, but not, not stereotypes. Sasha explained his reservation about stereotypes was not because of what Enrique Menendez, the sponsor, told them about casting the region in the best light. And it wasn't because the war has made everything more sensitive. He says it's because joking about Ukraine's problems is just too easy. He tells me there's a formula when a team comes from out of town. He's done it himself. You ask three questions at the local town to come up with your material. What's the roughest neighborhood, the seediest nightclub, and what is the public construction project that's been stalled the longest? We've been joking like that for 30 years. I'd rather Ukraine solve its problems than keep laughing at them. So, Mariupol gets on stage to do their sketch. And it was rough. They messed up lines, they missed words. Even Sasha admits... It was pretty unfair that they got the same score as the women's team. Was there a little bit of, um, the fact that this is the local team, did that help? Yes, of course. It's helped because all people absolutely uh, applause. This eastern Ukrainian crowd, they were screaming their name. That's where we left the story in 2019. 
This week, after Russia invaded Ukraine, I reached back out to the comedians I'd met. I could not get a hold of Vika from the women's team, but I did get through to members of the team from Mariupol. Some of them are okay, but they're in their basements during Russian shelling. The situation is shifting really fast. Their coach, Sasha Serduk, fled to the west of Ukraine. He tried to volunteer for the army, but when he was rejected for poor health, he found a different way to use his skill set to fight the Russian invasion. In Russian, he tells me that he spent the last few days using his network of artists and actors to find the WhatsApp numbers of Russian and Ukrainian musicians and stand-up comics and other artists who performed in Russia. And then he posts those numbers and sends an army of comics to clog their inboxes with insults. Some of them reply, music is beyond politics. But Sasha says no. Culture is very much part of this invasion. Russian comics and rappers and popular musicians promote stereotypes about Ukraine. Stereotypes of Ukrainian culture being lower, less sophisticated, more village idiot kind of jokes. And that made it easier for Putin to justify an invasion of a, quote, lesser country. So, he says, these artists get their WhatsApp messages, and even when they don't answer, they read everything. They always read everything. And now they're afraid of us, because we find every one of them. Comedy in Ukraine is no longer just a competitive sport. It's a war. The update for this episode was produced by Adelina Lancianis and edited by Bruce Oster. Also on the Rough Translation team, Luis Treas, Justine Yan, and Pablo Arguez. The original episode was produced by Autumn Barnes, Nick Fountain, and Mitchell Johnson. Julia Barton edited the episode. Also, thank you so much to those who listened to the episode and made it better. Alex Klemanoff, Lou Olkowski, Sana Krasikov, Brian Erstad, Jess Jang, Nadia Lewis, Bianca Jacobone, Darian Woods, and Robert Smith. The Rough Translation High Council of Culture and All Things Podcast is Neil Carruth, Chris Turpin, and Anya Grunman. Mastering by Isaac Rodriguez, with additional mastering by James Willits. John Ellis composed the music for our show, scoring by Mike Cruz and Aviva de Kornfeld. I'm Gregory Warner, back soon with more Rough Translation. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from Wondery, with the new podcast, Black History for Real, weaving Black history's most overlooked figures back into their rightful place in culture and the world at large. Listen to Black History for Real on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.